0: Welcome to PeriOp Talk, the perioperative specific podcast where we discuss how to make surgery safer, one podcast at a time. From Q&As with AORN guideline authors to interviews with OR nurses just like you. Our goal is to always share practical information for you to take back to your OR.
1: Welcome to PeriOp Talk. We were eager about welcoming Dr. Marty McCary to the ARN Global Surgical Conference and Expo planned for April 2020 in Anaheim, California. He's a New York Times best-selling author, Johns Hopkins surgical oncologist, and a professor of health policy. Unfortunately, COVID-19 spread around the globe, and the ARN Expo 2020 went virtual. While we couldn't see Dr. McCary in person, we wanted you to have the benefit of Marty's insights about the American healthcare system. This podcast was recorded in fall of 2019 in anticipation of the release of his new book titled The Price We Pay: What Broke American Healthcare and How to Fix It. Dr. McCarry, thank you so much for joining us today to speak to our AORN members. We are excited to hear about your new book called The Price We Pay.
0: Great to be with you, Karina.
1: I understand you prefer to be called by your first name, is that right?
0: <laughs> yeah, call me Marty. You know, we made a big effort in the operating rooms at Johns Hopkins uh, several years back to try to really create an approachable environment where we get rid of the intimidation and hierarchy and really try to go with first names. The nurses that I work with call me Marty. So please call me Marty.
1: Well, Marty, to uh, so begin, can, can you tell us what inspired you to write this book?
0: When we talk about fixing healthcare, we need to talk about not just how to pay for healthcare. That's what the politicians talk about. How do we pay for healthcare differently? We need to talk about how to fix healthcare. And right now, I'm seriously concerned about the public trust that is being eroded by aggressive billing practices and care that has cut corners, quite frankly. I'm concerned about corporate medicine. I'm concerned about private equity ownership of uh, medical care in the United States. These are things where we all need to be literate about what's happening in healthcare. That's why I wrote the book, The Price We Pay. But more importantly, I wanted to cite the movement of nurses and physicians, students, and even concerned citizens that are saying, hey, we can do a lot better to restore our public trust. We just have to remember why we all went into medicine. It's to help people. What unites every nurse listening on this podcast, every surgical tech, everyone involved in perioperative care, every physician, every surgery center administrator, it is a sense of compassion. We all went into this field out of a sense of compassion.
1: Absolutely.
0: Look, there's a tremendous tradition of trust, teamwork, uh, even public trust in our institutions that is because of nursing care. And if we have nurses nurse practitioners, other clinicians practicing at the top of their license, we could address many of the healthcare disparities, some of the workforce issues, and some of the issues of access to care. If you look at our heritage as a modern day medical profession, it's amazing. It is amazing. I mean, when the polio vaccine was invented, the inventor was told, you need to get a patent because you could make more money than any other person that's ever invented anything from the polio vaccine. You know what the inventor said? He said, no, the polio vaccine will be a gift to humanity. No one will ever profit from it. I want as many people in the world to get access to the polio vaccine as possible. This will be a donation to mankind. I mean, you talk about our incredible medical heritage. You talk about hospital charters. When hospitals were founded, they were founded to be a safe refuge for the sick and injured. They were supposed to be a safe place, according to their own charters, quote, unquote, to accept people regardless of their race, creed, or ability to pay. That is our incredible medical heritage of teamwork and acceptance. After all, who else has a better eye on equality than the witnesses of of birth and death. It's clinicians, it's doctors and nurses, it's people involved in the care coordination, and we need to redesign care so it's patient centered and not uh, business centered.
1: How can they begin reforming our healthcare system in a way, as you say, that's more patient centric and puts patients first again?
0: It turns out right now the medical profession is under a serious uh, threat of that sacred public trust um, being lost by a bunch of business practices that we can understand if we have the right healthcare literacy. And I think it's an exciting time right now, the disruptors and innovators in the healthcare system. Uh, big stuff is happening. We're seeing uh, a whole new redesign of healthcare from scratch, and a lot of times it's just everyday folks on the front lines, it's doctors and nurses who are saying, hey, we can do this a lot better. It's just nobody's been asking us how, and if if it turns out if you ask people on the front lines of medicine, they'll give you the answer. We just need to ask them.
1: Well, tell us a little bit about what you've learned from patients through your experiences as well with healthcare that really helped you identify for this book some of the biggest culprits in surgical care specifically that are breaking our system?
0: You know, if there's two drivers of our healthcare cost crisis, it is number one, pricing failures, and number two, inappropriate care. I open the book, The Price We Pay, with the problem of uh, too many endovascular procedures in patients who don't need them. Okay, this is a big problem right now in certain towns in the United States, and there's Uh, gouging of Medicare patients and inappropriate care and um, even a U.S. Preventive Services Task Force guideline that says don't screen for peripheral vascular disease. When patients are asymptomatic, it's only going to lead to downstream unnecessary stuff. Okay, this is the issue of appropriateness in medicine that we have to start being honest about. We did a national survey of of 2,100 clinicians in the United States, asking them, what percent of medical care, in your opinion, is unnecessary? The average answer, 21%. We just published this in PLOS One. And it was a great paper that simply gave the voice of clinicians on the front lines of medicine an outlet to say, hey, we think there's a serious problem out there. If in any other industry one in five services was unnecessary, you'd say we have a crisis.
1: What do you hope these stories inspire people to do?
0: Well, I'm a um, surgical oncologist and do gastrointestinal surgery. And as a surgeon, I love my job. I love the team that I work with. The collegiality is some of the best parts of the job. When we look back at the history of American healthcare we see that it's been a team-based approach. And what I wanted to do was really evaluate what is the state of American medicine and what can we do to make it better? I wanted to show people that this uh, tremendous heritage of the public trust that we have with the public, um, the incredible respect that people have for their local community hospital and their surgery center and the physicians and nurses in their community. People have an incredible heritage of trust, and that trust today is being threatened by the money games of medicine. And it is something that's understandable. It's something that can be broken down, and it's basically healthcare literacy and using stories that are relatable and a description of all the exciting changes and innovators that are uh, redesigning care I wanted to make. Uh, Allow anyone to read this book, The Price We Pay, and leave feeling like I now finally understand exactly how healthcare works.
1: Can you tell me or give me a few examples of these money games in medicine, uh, specifically related to surgery?
0: One of the most exciting things happening in the surgical space is price transparency. Patients want to know when something is elective, they want to know what it's going to cost. They want a fair price. People want honesty in their care, ranging from the, the bedside care all the way to the billing practices. It's ironic that we have not been able to give people a simple price for things that are elective. No one is suggesting that if you're you're shot in the chest, that we're going to give you a price before we take you to the operating room. Um, that's ridiculous. But 60% of medical care is shoppable. If you go to a restaurant and ask for a menu, If the waiter or waitress said, well, who's your employer? And I'll give you a menu that corresponds with your employer. And you can't see the other menus. And then you find out later that you've been charged five times more than the person sitting at the next table who's getting the same burger. You'd say that's outrageous. You would say there's price gouging. You would say it's price manipulation. And you wouldn't tolerate it. There are exciting places in the United States now where the surgery center has said, "Hey, we're going to go to a fair and honest transparent pricing menu of services. These are elective, shoppable services, and when patients ask, we'll be able to give them an honest price." People want an honest and fair price, and right now surgery centers are saying, "We'll provide that to you." We've got medical centers around the country that are saying, "Hey, we'll give you the price of a service as a bundle." And uh, we'll tell you what that exact price is, and employers and health plans and all sorts of proxy shoppers of healthcare care can uh, contract in with those bundles. So those are some of the common sense things that I think uh, people like, and they're working, and they're saving people a lot of money, and they're also restoring some of the public trust.
1: Let's talk um, about perioperative nurse leaders for a minute, so executives really – Um, overseeing nursing in in perioperative departments, why are they well-positioned to be what you call these disruptive innovators to address money games?
0: So there's a lot going on right now. And I think what we're seeing is nurse leaders are saying, hey, a lot of this care that we're doing can be done at the home or it can be done remotely or it can be done with technology or it should not be done at home. This particular condition needs more nursing attention after surgery or before surgery or during surgery, and we're seeing a complete redesign.
1: What other messages from your book specifically do you think resonate with uh, perioperative nurses working on the front line?
0: Well, nobody is more on the front lines of patient care than American nurses. It's the nurses that are providing a lot of that bedside care, the assurances, they're partnering with the patients, they're listening to them about their fears and concerns and aspirations and goals. And I'll tell you, every person in the delivery of care is important. Our physicians are important, but I'll tell you that it's the nurses that clue me in to the blind spots in my surgical practice where they'll tell me something that the patient may not have offered up, or they will have a deeper relationship and find it uh, find that the nurse is their go-to person when they need help. So, um, nurses have, have a unique perspective. And when it comes to redesigning healthcare, oftentimes they have great ideas. But I think it's a tribute to the fact that nurses are on the front lines of the American healthcare system.
1: Too often people feel like it's a bit of a gamble to, to receive care. You don't quite know what you're going to get. And I wondered if you might just share a story or two of where you saw situations that really were losing with that gamble?
0: I mean, isn't the opioid crisis simply one manifestation of our appropriateness crisis in medicine, of the problem of too much care? You know, 10 years ago, we physicians in the United States prescribed 2.4 billion prescriptions. Last year, it hit 5 billion. Did disease really double in the last 10 years? No, we have a crisis of appropriateness. Um, Did you know that a quarter of patients with diabetes in the United States, according to a study, report rationing their insulin because of the cost of the drug? Um, I met one patient at a hospital in Virginia uh, who had been sued because she couldn't afford the price of the MRI and CT scan that was done for a headache in the emergency room. Well, no one should have a CT and an MRI for a headache when one was normal. And then you get another one just to sort of, you know, it's overkill. It was unnecessary. It was inappropriate. We also found in, in the research I did for the book, The Price We Pay, places where it's gotten so bad that it is eroding the public trust in their institutions. For example, half of women with stage 4 breast cancer in the United States today report being harassed by medical debt collectors. That's, I mean, that's a disgrace. It's a disgrace to surgical oncology. It's a disgrace to our profession. It's a disgrace to our society. Now, no one is suggesting that we, instead of removing a pancreas cancer that's clearly operable, that we treat it with herbs and meditation instead. Now, look, patients, there's a role for modern medicine, and we have some of the best of it in the world right here in the United States. And our care in the United States, the best care, is the best in the world, but we can do better treating the whole patient. And that is the movement right now to restore medicine to its mission with great bedside care and with honest billing care.
1: And I wondered, what did you see on the flip side out there in doing your research that gave you hope that uh, we are moving to a better place with our healthcare system?
0: Well, we're seeing this sort of moral mandate right now advocate for our patients. And never before have we seen nurses, physicians, clinicians stand with patients and say, hey, wait a minute, this isn't right. Okay, I'm not going to let this happen. And I'm going to tell the patient exactly what's happening here, because what I'm seeing is not in the patient's best interest. No one has a vantage point on quality better than nurses. Look at physicians when they get sick. What do they do? They ask the nurses, hey, who's the best surgeon to go to? Look, no one has the ultimate sort of code book on quality, but uh, nurses have an incredible vantage point on quality. And a lot of times um, they'll tell you how to make care better. We just have to listen to nurses. There are a lot of these great disruptors and innovators that I met in writing the book, The Price We Pay. And I was really excited to be able to put them together to share them with others. But you know, on a bedside level, we're starting to ask big questions we've never really asked about before.
1: So is there anything specific in terms of advocacy in terms of looking at the whole patient that perioperative nurses on the front line can do?
0: Absolutely. Look, many of the heroes that I've met in doing the research for the book, The Price We Pay, are nurses who basically have said, wait a minute, why are we doing this? And can we do it better? And so for a lot of nurses who are running their own surgery centers, they're saying, look, we can partner here with our surgeons and do things differently. We can move to global capitation. We can reevaluate our GPO contracts. We can deliver some of that care at home. We can do so much different and better. We don't have to fit this mold that we've been given. If we can answer your questions, if we can educate you about your treatment options, uh, this is the new brand of health care that patients want. This is patient-centered care. So good stuff's happening, and we've got a lot of information at the website, uh, restoringmedicine.org, and on our Facebook group uh, site, Restoring Medicine.
1: Well, in closing, and just looking back to your work with this book and your perspective, um, overall, do you do you have hope that patients and providers can be working together to find a way toward a better health care system.
0: I'm extremely optimistic right now about the future of medicine, not because of the government, okay? The government is primarily just talking about how to fund our broken system, but people on the front lines are now talking about how to fix the broken system, fix the underlying root issues. we can do better with the appropriateness of care, if we can be more honest, with our pricing systems when, when possible, when it's feasible. Um, we're going to see an, an amazing restoration of the public trust in our medical institutions and in our medical professionals. You know, nowhere else can you meet somebody within 30 seconds and have them trust you to put a needle in their arm or, uh, Trust you to put a knife to their skin or tell you things they would have never told their spouse of 20 or 30 years. They'll tell you instantly because they are talking to a nurse. They have arrived at a medical center. They are now in the hands of a medical professional. And that is an incredible heritage. And what I'm seeing from my vantage point, looking at the American healthcare system unbeholden to any stakeholder or special interest, is a movement to restore medicine to its mission. But I'm very optimistic about the future of what's happening in healthcare. And I hope this book, The Price We Pay, gives people that healthcare literacy using relatable examples and stories where people can leave feeling educated about exactly what the money games are in medicine, how the money flows, and who the innovators and disruptors are that are changing and improving and redesigning care to make it awesome.
1: Well, thank you so much, Marty, for taking time to talk to us today. Uh, and we look forward to reading your new book.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Karina. enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll share this podcast with your colleagues, and we hope that you'll join us next time for Periot Talk.